this morning, I'm thinking of Ben. Why don't we pray for Ben? Five children, one on the way. He's inherited something from me. Know how, he knows how to sleep in the easy chair when there's a lot of noise. So if you have eight kids, you have a lot of noise. In fact, one day, we had a couple give us a day off. because We didn't have any relatives. We had almost nobody to watch the kids until they were 14 or 15. Then we had a couple girls who would come, but who wanted to watch eight kids, you know? So this couple we knew uh, took the kids. And I remember my wife and I sat down on the couch. I said, do you hear that? She says, what? I said, nothing. Can you hear that? That's nothing. That's what nothing sounds like. You know, and so that's kind of the way it was. And so what we did was we fell asleep. <laughs> okay, that's my exciting story. I remember those days. Never a dull moment. There's always something going on. So you had a testimony ceremony here. And I think uh, testimony is a great part of our, our uh, relationship with the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you're here this morning. And Father, I commit this message to you. I ask that your Holy Spirit, that you would continue to speak to me as I speak to them, Father. That you would cause me to speak the things that I need to speak, Father, in Jesus' name. So my main text uh, was going to be, uh, I'm doing good this morning, Psalm 23. So Psalm 23, I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. My wife said to me this morning, and she's reminded me again and again of some message I did on Psalm 23, and this morning she said, you ought to preach on Psalm 23. She said, do you remember that message you said you did? And I said, no. I mean, I remember I did a long message 20 years ago, probably. And uh, I don't remember all the facts. But it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. So this... This is talking about provision in the first sense that there's no want. And we know that the Lord compares us to sheep. He makes us to lie down in green pastures, a place to feed and to rest. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The shadow of death is not, as I sometimes thought was, it, it, it deals with death itself, you know what I mean? But the shadow of death in the valleys in Palestine were full of danger and ravines and places to get hurt and beasts. And so that was a difficult place for the shepherd to take the sheep through. 
And so it's talked about that way, the shadow of death, where I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So that staff had a hook in it, so you could pull the sheep if they fell into a pit or something like that. You could take care of the sheep. And you had a, a club that you could take care of things. So we know that David dealt with lions. He defeated a lion. He defeated the bear. Then it says something that I really started thinking about a little differently. But thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now, if you can think this morning what it's like to have a big table before you in the presence of your enemies, how much peace would there be at that table? And it's an interesting picture. If you could just close your eyes for a minute and think. Just close your eyes for a minute with me this morning and think of a large table, say 10 or 15 feet long, that's just covered with food. And the Lord's invited you to that table. And then I want to, you to think of another verse. It says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now just think that on that table was every promise that God made. Six to 7,000 promises, it says. Somebody's got the exact number in the Bible. That's how many promises there are. You can open your eyes now, don't fall asleep. <laughs> so anyway, that's how many promises there are. And if we start to exercise ourselves in the promise, I taught a message here on that. It says we will partake of the divine nature of God if we'll start to, to exercise ourselves, to memorize, to, to grab a hold of these promises of God. And the first example of that promise really is Romans 10, 9, and 10. And you've all done it. But that's not what we're limited to, right? And it says... If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's God's promise. It's the first promise we grab hold of, probably the most important promise that we deal with. And out of that promise, we defend our position. The enemy usually comes after that and tries to convince you that you're not saved. But the fact of the matter is, you can go back to that promise, and you can say, God said this, if I do this, then this happens to me. I'm saved. And we are translated, it says, picked up in Colossians from the, the darkness, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. And so we've passed from darkness, which is, belongs to the devil, because it says we're all born in iniquity. We got that from Adam and Eve when they gave up, at the, gave up rights and ate of the apple. Well, they said it's an apple, right? The tree, the tree that, that gave them the knowledge of good and evil. And so we need to take hold of this promise and we need to understand that once we have done that 
and we've moved from the enemy's kingdom into the Lord's kingdom. Now, he's our adversary. Before, he's just kind of coddling us along, taking advantage of us at any turn that we can give him, whether it be an addiction or whatever it is, we're at his mercy. But after that, we've entered the kingdom of God. Now, when God enters, brings us in, he says, we're like children. And he feeds us on milk, the gentle things of the word. And if you go into Psalms, Psalms is full of things that calm you and to minister to you. And then there's other things later that are more of a challenge to grab hold of. You know, it, when, the, when David said in Psalm 103 that we should remember all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases, David understood something personally that in our culture is and can, can be a difficult thing to obtain, right? That's in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament it says it's built on better promises. We have better and more sure promises given now that we're in the kingdom of God in the New Testament than the Old Testament saint had. In fact, he's given us the authority over all the power of the enemy. And that's not, you'll see it in the Old Testament. You'll see it in David. You'll see it with David and Goliath in, in that confrontation that takes place. Even though it's in, really in the physical realm, you can see the fight between good and evil. You can see how David moved, was moved upon by the Holy Spirit when he is anointed. And, and it said the, the Spirit of God came on him. And it remained there throughout his life. And at one point when he sinned with Bathsheba, he called out and he said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But in the New Testament, God has given a new revelation of his Spirit. And at one point in the Gospels, he says, He says that out of your inner, innermost being shall come Rivers of living water. So this is a different thing. Now he's talking about being born again. like, And that's why I say when we enter this, we're fed with the milk. And we're like children. And then as he moves us along, he wants us to come into the realm that Abraham had in the Old Testament when he said he was perfect. Abraham, the only man that was really perfect in our sense of thinking, is Jesus. But perfection to Abraham and perfection when it's, when it's talked about man in the, in the Bible deals with completeness and wholeness and maturity. And so he's really talking about Abraham entering into maturity. The wonderful thing about Abraham is I think he had 300 servants. So when Laban got in trouble, he took his, serv his servants and went after the, the ones that were affecting Laban, right? And he, he delivered him. And it says that we are grafted into the same thing. We're grafted into all the promises of Abraham. We used to sing a song, Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham's blessings are mine. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not behind. Abraham's blessings are mine. Listen to the words, not the melody. <laughs> All right. I, as I was going through this message, I kept running into scripture that were songs. 
that we used to sing when we met in the assembly. One of the songs that we would often sing at the beginning of a message, uh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. It goes kind of like, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Well, there's scripture for that. And last week, you entered into that scripture, really, by your confession here. And let me see here, I've got it. This is out of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Does that sound familiar? When first Peter spoke things and Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, the accuser was talking to Peter. Peter was speaking what the accuser, I'm sure, was giving to him. Jesus was rebuking that accuser when he said, Satan, get behind me. He recognized that P Peter was receiving. Now, this happens to us, and it's the way the Lord... Uh, excuse me, the devil tries to deceive us. He speaks to us through our mind, and we start thinking, that's my thinking. And all of a sudden, this thing is manifested that didn't belong there. In a lot of cases, we won't say it, but we hear it. And we think, oh, I shouldn't be thinking about that. And the devil's there to condemn you over those thoughts. And you're right, we shouldn't be thinking that. But we also have to understand that the enemy is trying to in inject thoughts into our mind. So it says they overcame him. So the, the, the enemy accuses us, right? And then it's talking about the saints. And they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they love their lives unto the death. Confession is a very important part of salvation. And if you read Genesis 1, you see that God said, God said, God said, God said. And he's bringing into, he's creating with his mouth. God said, God said, God said, God said. Romans 10, 9 and 10, the Lord says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. He's telling you to do things that God's already done. But he's telling you to use your lips to bring to pass and to, and to offer up to God what your confession is. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead and thou shalt be saved. Worship is a form of this confession. It says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And if you will let yourself get into worship, he'll bring you into realms of worship. 
because he inhabits the praises of, the, of his people. When the walls of Jericho came down and they marched around seven times, the worshipers were in that. And they shouted out and the walls came down. So God is concerned about our confession. In Proverbs, it says life and death is in the tongue and you shall eat the fruit of it. In other words, we need to watch what we say, right? But we also need to confess good things. When you confess that God's delivered you from something, and you're talking to someone who doesn't understand salvation, they can't argue with you. They can say, well, I'm not ready to talk about God. They can say all these things. They can say whatever they want. But if you minister that in love, and they understand that you love him, then that sticks. These are seeds that are planted. So your confession is a very important thing. So it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So now, if that table that he prepared for you was full of the promises of God, and you were to go, because God said you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If, if over that table was the word of God, the promises of God, and you partook of what was on that table, your spiritual strength would increase and increase. And God would reveal more and more of who he is through his word. And that's what he wants to do. And he wants to do it to all of us. And that's why we meet here every week. Because God has called people to ministries. And he wants you to function in ministries in the church. And when you function in ministries of the church and you start to move in that ministry, God will increase. He'll increase your appetite for the word. He'll increase your revelation of who he is and what types of, I don't even know how to say it, gifts, what types of gifts he wants to manifest in you. So it's a revelation. It says if we obey his promises, God will reveal himself. That's a promise. If we obey his commands, God will reveal himself. You know, uh, Moses said he wanted to see God. Moses was looking for the revelation of God. And God wants to reveal himself. We may not see him. He's spirit. He's spirit. And when we were brought into this relationship with God, into the kingdom of his dear son. It says he gave us the beginning of that Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is instilled in you. And so there's times that God is speaking to us through the Spirit. And it might not be in words. It might be that someone is trying to get you to go in a direction, but you don't have a comforting sense in your spirit which is oftentimes that's why jesus said out of your 
innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Because he's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you look back to David, when David was anointed, let me get that message for you and see if I can find it. <laughs> Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Well, before that, he goes through all the brothers. And then he says, man looks at the outside because the first brother was a big man. And then he came to David. Every time he came to a different one, the Lord showed him, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him. And then Samuel finally said, you see, God was revealing to Samuel these things. Samuel, Samuel's an interesting story because his mother goes to the priest and she's barren. And it's, it's a terrible thing to be barren in Israel, not to have children. So she goes to the priest. She's, she's crying before the priest and he thinks she's drunk or something. And she gives to the Lord. She says, if you'll give me a son, I will bring him here as soon as he's of age. And he can stay with the priest and stay in the temple. And so she did that when Samuel was born. As Samuel came along, Samuel got woke up one night, and, and he thought it was the priest calling him. So he went to the priest, and the priest said, well, I didn't call you, and so he went back and laid down again. And he got woke up again. And finally, the priest said to him, the priest was in disobedience, so he was not receiving from God, but he remembered how he did. And he told Samuel to go back, and you listen. That's God speaking to you. And that's what Samuel did. And here's Samuel, years later, having given himself to the Lord, and that gift being developed to the place where he's operating as a prophet. And, and that's the way it works. God wants to speak to you. He'll speak to you by his spirit. He'll speak to you through the word of God. Right? The word of God says it divides between soul and spirit. It's so powerful. It's a living word. God spoke this into existence. The King James says, what's the word? They use, they use a different word. It, what it means is God breathed. In other words, when John was speaking, Beloved, I wish above all things thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. John is speaking. But that word was God breathed into John. So the word of God, we have to understand. Well, it's interesting because Balaam, you know, the, there's a king in the Old Testament. He's talking to Balaam who who's, gives prophecy. And he wants Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam can't do it. He can't do it. So he says, interesting that he should say it, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it, and shall he not do it? Has he not said it, and shall he not make it good? So this is God breathed. 
And what God is saying is, I'm not a man that I should lie, neither the son of man that I should repent. Have I not said it, and shall I not do it? And so there's promises in here that it takes us a while to chew on, but there are promises in here. This is the confidence that we have in him. This is a promise. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If he hears us, we know we have the thing, the petitions that we desired of him. This is the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we desired of him. So that, in 1 John, is an indication of John's grasp he had on faith and believing God. D.L. Moody had said of D.L. Moody that he needed $20,000. So that would have been in the 1800s. He needed $20,000, and he had all these things going. So he took R.A. Torrey, which was his right-hand man, and they both got in a carriage. And they drove out with their horse-drawn carriage. And he said he sat with D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody prayed, and he said his prayer was amazing. You know? And they, they had pulled under, it started raining, they pulled under cover. And as soon as he prayed, D.L. Moody said to him, okay, it's done, let's go. So he knew he had the 20,000. So all I'm saying is, God wants to develop. He wants to develop in us gifts. We don't end up like a D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody didn't start there. D.L. Moody started in Boston. He went to his uncle's and worked in a shoe shop. He joined the, the Congregational Church. <laughs> he was in the Congregational Church, and he applied for membership. And they said, no, we can't give you membership. You're not qualified. And so the next year, he applied for membership. And they gave him membership because they felt sorry for him. And his Sunday school teacher said, D.L. Moody will never amount to anything in the kingdom. Well, he ate his words, didn't he? Because D.L. Moody rose up. He was considered to be the greatest preacher, evangelist of his time. But that's the way it worked. So we don't know where God's called us to be, especially when we're first saved. We just know he's called us to maintain our position, to be keep believing, uh, and to listen to him. And then he will open up our understanding. He will reveal himself. He will manifest himself to you if you obey his commandments, it says. But we're not. The interesting thing, too, in the New Testament is we are not under the curse. If you, if you get into the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 28, the first 15 verses are the blessings over the Israelites, which is you. You're grafted into this tree, so their blessings are your blessings. The next 15 are what happens if you don't listen to the Lord and you disobey the Lord. So there's all these negative things that happen. 
Jesus, when he died on the cross, it says the curses were nailed to the cross. We're not under the curse. So people think they can't be healed because they did this or they did that, or they can't receive from God because of some sin committed. And, and you just have to ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. When you think that a Paul wrote most of the New Testament, so many books in the New Testament, and he had people carted off to jail, and Stephen died in front of him. So he had something to do with Stephen's death. If you read the history of David, you see what he did and how he sinned with Bathsheba. And then he put Uriah out in front in the battle so that he'd be killed. And Uriah was killed. And then the prophet Nathan came to him and said, uh, you know, he gave him a little, uh, what would you call it? He starts talking about sheep or some livestock, and he said, if you had one and this other one had all these sheep, you know, and came and took yours, then, oh, well, let me find out who that man is, David says, and Nathan says, it's you. So Nathan had a man killed, and he committed adultery, and in the book of Acts, it's recorded. David is a man after my own heart. So he, forget, he forgave him. That's God breathed. David is a man after my own heart. Because he repented. He quickly repented. So if you think you've done the abominable sin, you haven't. As a matter of fact, People who think that haven't. I mean, they just haven't. In order for you to be, you really have to be walking away from the Lord and come against the Lord and just don't have anything to do with them. And even there, you can repent. The only sin that's without repentance is against blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. So we need to be careful what we say about the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. But everything else, the Lord forgave David. The Lord forgave Paul. So when it says, you know, he said a table before us in the midst of our enemies, that our walk with the Lord, in our walk with the Lord, we have an accuser of the brethren. And he's constantly saying, you're not qualified to do this. He's constantly trying to tell you some negative thing. But you can counter it with the word of God. You can say, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. You know, him that loved me. I'm heir and joint heir with Jesus. To as many as received to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The authority to become a son of God. Sons and daughters of God. In Galatians 5, it really says that in the kingdom, God accepts the slave and the free. He accepts every race, every creed. The amazing thing is, your relationship with God is not determined by your IQ. Revelation from God comes to everyone. If we will yield, it says he resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. 
We all need grace, right? We need a lot of grace. We receive them. Grace comes by faith, right? By faith, we receive all these things. And we need the grace of God over our life. So, because of pride comes contention. In other words, we get puffed up and then we get angry and then that leads to disagreements. And it says that God dwells in the high and holy place with him that is of a humble and contrite heart. Contrite means pulverized, ground to a powder. Humble. And Jesus was so humble, he put everything away when he came, born of a woman. And then later in life, in three years, did all these things. Then he called those fishermen. They didn't go to Notre Dame. They didn't go to Harvard. He entrusted them with impacting the, wor the world. And Peter was raised up after the baptism of the Holy Spirit and began speaking. And then Peter spoke that the, in the last days that there would be a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And there's the men and the young people, and the young men and the older men, I think, of course, it's not limited to men. And then one of them has dreams, and the other one has visions. And I can remember when I read that first that I, I had received one of those, but I was, I was at the opposite end of the age spectrum. So it's not really held up. But God wants to reveal himself through dreams and visions. Today, he's revealing himself to Muslims who don't believe in him. Jesus is revealing himself, and they're getting saved. We met a man who came from India, and he came to the United States because he needed a prosthetic leg. He had been in a uh, head-on on our motorbike in India and suffered terrible things, and he was in the hospital. And I believe it's a Hindu woman, but anyway, she's in one of those religions out there sitting outside his room. And Jesus walked in the room, and the Hindu woman saw him. And he saw Jesus. So the Lord is still appearing to people, even after the book of Acts, right? Even after the the apostles and the disciples. We're carrying on where they left off. And it's the same God wanting to reveal himself. So I'm going to give you a little bit of John 10 here. This is a similar type of thing. Psalm 23 is talking to the, the sheep and Psalm 10 says this, Verily, verily, I stand to you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up by some other way, he is a thief and a robber. He that enters in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So the, flo the flock of sheep was usually kept in a stone area, 
like a round stone area, and on top were thistles. Then there was a doorway. And they were kept in there at night so they'd be protected from wolves or whatever. Apparently there were bears and lions and who knows how many other animals around there. So the way to go in and out of the sheepfold was through the door. The shepherd gave to him, it says, to him the porter opens, the gatekeeper is the porter. And the sheep hear his voice, and he called his own sheep by name and leads them out. So they said in that culture, even if there were two shepherds and they were all together, and there are all these different sheep together, that the shepherds had names for the sheep. And so he called them out by name. And those sheep would separate from the other sheep and follow that shepherd. So the porter opened, the sheep heard his voice, called his own, he called his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So this is two in the natural realm. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So the disciples didn't really understand what was going on. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And we know he has the scriptures of this. He's at the door, and he knocks. If any man will open the door, I'll sup with him and he with me. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. So he was talking about the one that climbs up the other way, like a thief and a robber. Now in verse 10 he says, the thief comes not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have life more abundantly. So you see there, the, that Jesus is giving a view of the accuser of the brethren. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, who's own the sheep or not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hiring flees because he's a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good sheep and know my sheep and am known of mine. So verse 10 is very famous. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come, he's came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So I was telling you earlier, they overcame the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So when the old timers sang about the blood, there's power in the blood, they understood this verse from Revelation. 
And they pled the blood of Jesus over things. My pastor, my first pastor, spoke about the blood about a week before something happened to me. And he said basically the same thing. There's power in the blood. This never happened to me again, but one night I was in the church and I prayed for a lady who was crippled. And I didn't see a manifestation of a healing. And on the way home, the accuser of the brethren was really working on me. And when I got home, no, I lived with my aunt at the time. If you live in the East Coast, you have an aunt. Out here, you have ants. So there was no one home. So I walked in the house, and it was as though there was a wet blanket in the house. I don't know how to explain it. I just never sensed anything like it. I just knew it wasn't the Lord. So I went up to my room, and I remembered what the pastor said. And I rebuked that thing with the blood, and it left immediately. It says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. So I learned from that that the enemy respects the blood. He's afraid of the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. When you pray for people, this is what I've found anyway. When you pray for people, you need to be led of the Lord how to pray for people. But I will say this, because I've seen results. That when the enemy's working on a person negatively, depending on what it is, but when an enemy's working on someone negatively, I take authority over those thoughts. I take authority over all the plans that the devil has. And I state that over the person. And I rebuke those plans, those plans that the enemy has, and I cut them off with the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over that person. I rebuke the things over their mind. I rebuke mind control from them, and I take authority over that. Because that's what it says. You know, he gave that authority to the disciples. And you are disciples if you're following Jesus. He gave it to the disciples. In Luke 10, 38, I think it, well, 10, 19, I believe is what it is. Behold, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. So the Lord intends for us to have authority over the powers of darkness. That's what Jesus defeated on the cross. He defeated them, and he made a show of them openly, is what it says. And so God has called us to exercise our authority. The first thing we need to do is feed on the promises. We need to feed on the promises so they become faith part of our faith in our believing. And then we need to take authority over the enemy. We need to rebuke the devil. It says resist him and he will flee from you. So in Jesus' name, that's our inheritance. We have, we, we have an inheritance with Jesus. It says our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. Our spirit bears witness with his spirit. 
the Holy Spirit that's in us and the Spirit that's in us, that we are called, we are called to operate in these things, to be able to pray with each other, to be able to encourage one another. I'm going to stop. I just want to encourage you that God has given you power and authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can take that verse and you can memorize it. And it will be like a seed and it will grow in your spirit. And you'll be able to take that position and believe the Lord in those things. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have raised up your people. You've given them of your Holy Spirit, Father. It says we can pray and we can ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit. He will give it to us, Father. And I just confess that in this place, Father, that your Holy Spirit moves freely, Father. That the presence of Jesus, when they, people enter the doors, enter the parking lot, and come here, that they sense the presence of the Lord. That the presence of the Lord broods over this place, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for Ben, for the pastor, for his wife, for his children. I thank you for all the children that are in here, all the people that have been here today. All those who couldn't make it, Father, we lift them up before you. We ask you to bless them, Father. Those that you've called to be here, Father, we just claim they come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And they're here with us in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.